Section 27 of Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838 to 1839. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838 to 1839 by francis ann kimball section twenty seven the air of new england has a keen edge of liberty which suits few southern constitutions and unkindly as abolition has found its native soil and native skies that is its birthplace and there it flourishes in spite of all attempts to root it out and trample it down and within any atmosphere poisoned by its influence no slaveholder can willingly draw breath some travel in europe and few whose means permit the contrary ever pass the entire year on their plantations great intervals of many years pass and no master ever visits some of these properties what species of attachment do you think the slave entertains for him in other cases the visits made will be of a few days in one of the winter months the estate and its cultivators remaining for the rest of the year under the absolute control of the overseer who provided he contrives to get a good crop of rice or cotton into the market for his employers is left to the arbitrary exercise of a will seldom uninfluenced by evil by the combined effects of the grossest ignorance and habitual intemperance the temptation to the latter vice is almost irresistible to a white man in such a climate and leading an existence of brutal isolation among a parcel of human beings as like brutes as they can be made but the owner who at these distant intervals of months or years revisits his estates is looked upon as a returning providence by the poor negroes they have no experience of his character to destroy their hopes in his goodness and all possible and impossible ameliorations of their condition are anticipated from his advent less work more food fewer stripes and some of that consideration which the slave hopes may spring from his positive money value to his owner a fallacious dependence as i have already attempted to show but one which if it is not always predominating weight with the master never can have any with the overseer who has not even the feeling of regard for his own property to mitigate his absolutism over the slaves of another man there is a very powerful cause which makes the prosperity and well-being as far as life is concerned of most masters a subject of solicitude with their slaves the only stability of their condition such as it is hangs upon it if the owner of a plantation dies his estates may fall into the market and his slaves be sold at public auction the next day and whether this promises a better or threatens a worse condition the slaves cannot know and no human being cares one thing it inevitably brings the uprooting of all old associations the disruption of all the ties of fellowship and misery the tearing asunder of all relations of blood and affection the sale into separate and far distant districts of fathers mothers husbands wives and children if the estate does not lie in the extreme south there is the vague dread of being driven thither from virginia to georgia from carolina to alabama or louisiana a change which for reasons i have shown above 
implies the passing from a higher into a lower circle of the infernal pit of slavery. I once heard a slave on the plantation of an absentee express the most lively distress at hearing that his master was ill. Before, however, I had recovered from my surprise at this warm attachment to a distant and all but unknown proprietor, the man added, Massa die. What become of all him people? On my arrival on the plantation where I resided, I was hailed with the most extravagant demonstrations of delight, and all but lifted off my feet in the arms of people who had never seen me before, but who, knowing me to be connected with their owners, expected from me some of the multitudinous benefits which they always hope to derive from masters. These, until they come to reside among them, are always believed to be sources of beneficence and fountains of redress by the poor people, who have known no rule but the delegated tyranny of the overseer. In these expectations, however, they very soon find themselves cruelly mistaken. Of course, if the absentee planter has received a satisfactory income from his estate, he is inclined to be satisfied with the manager of it and as subordination to the only white man among hundreds of blacks must be maintained at any and every cost the overseer is justified and upheld in his whole administration if the wretched slave ever dared to prefer a complaint of ill-usage the most atrocious the law which refuses the testimony of a black against a white is not only the law of the land but of every man's private dealings and lying being one of the natural results of slavery and a tendency to shirk, compelled, and unrequited labor another, the overseer stands on excellent vantage ground when he refers to these undoubted characteristics of the system, if called upon to rebut any charge of cruelty or injustice. But pray consider for a moment the probability of any such charge being preferred by a poor creature who has been for years left to the absolute disposal of this man, and who knows very well that in a few days, or months at furthest, the master will again depart, leaving him again for months, perhaps for years, utterly at the mercy of the man against whom he has dared to prefer a complaint. On the estates which I visited, the owners had been habitually absent, and the attachment of slaves to such masters as these, you will allow, can hardly come under the denomination of a strong personal feeling. Your authority next states that the infirm and superannuated slaves no longer capable of ministering to their master's luxuries on the estate that he visited, were ending their lives among all the comforts of home, with kindred and friends around them, in a condition which he contrasts, at least by implication, very favorably with the workhouse, the last refuge provided by the social humanity of England, for the pauper laborer when he has reached that term when unregarded age is in corners thrown. On the plantation where I lived, the infirmary was a large room, the walls of which were simply mud and lathes. The floor, the soil itself, damp with perpetual drippings from the holes in the roof, and the open space which served for a window was protected only by a broken shutter, which, in order to exclude the cold, was drawn so near as almost to exclude the light at the same time. Upon this earthen floor, with nothing but its hard, damp surface beneath him, no covering but a tattered shirt and trousers, and a few sticks under his head for a pillow, lay an old man of upwards of seventy, dying. When I first looked at him, I thought by the glazed stare of his eyes and the flies that had gathered round his half-open mouth that he was dead. 
but on stooping nearer i perceived that the last faint struggle of life was still going on but even while i bent over him it ceased and so like a worn-out hound with no creature to comfort or relieve his last agony with neither christian solace or human succor near him with neither wife nor child nor even friendly fellow-being to lift his head from the knotty sticks on which he had rested it or drive away the insects that buzzed round his lips and nostrils like those of a fallen beast died this poor old slave whose life had been exhausted in unrequited labour the fruits of which had gone to pamper the pride and feed the luxury of those who knew and cared neither for his life or death and to whom if they had heard of the latter it would have been a matter of absolute though small gain the saving of a daily pittance of meal which served to prolong a life no longer available to them i proceed to the next item in your observer's record all children below the age of twelve were unemployed he says on the estate he visited this is perhaps a questionable benefit when no process of mental cultivation being permitted the only employment for the leisure thus allowed is that of rolling like dogs or cats in the sand and the sun on all the plantations i visited and on those where i resided the infants in arms were committed to the care of these juvenile slaves who were denominated nurses and whose sole employment was what they call to mind baby the poor little negro sucklings were cared for i leave to your own judgment how efficiently or how tenderly by these half-savage slips of slavery carried by them to the fields where their mothers were working under the lash to receive their needful nourishment and then carried back again to the settlement or collection of negro huts where they wallowed unheeded in utter filth and neglect until the time again returned for their being carried to their mother's breast such was the employment of the children of eight or nine years old and the only supervision exercised over either babies or baby minders was that of the old woman left in charge of the infirmary where she made her abode all day long and bestowed such samples of her care and skill upon its inmates as i shall have occasion to mention presently the practice of thus driving the mothers afield even while their infants were still dependent upon them for their daily nourishment is one of which the evil as well as the cruelty is abundantly apparent without comment the next note of admiration elicited from your impartial observer is bestowed upon the fact that the domestic servants i e the house slaves on the plantation he visited were allowed to live away from the owner's residence and to marry but i never was on a southern plantation and i never heard of one where any of the slaves were allowed to sleep under the same roof with their owner with the exception of the women to whose care the children of the planter if he had any might be confided and perhaps a little boy or girl slave kept as a sort of pet animal and allowed to pass the night on the floor of the sleeping apartment of some member of the family the residence of any slaves belonging to a plantation night and day in their master's house like northern or european servants is a thing i believe unknown throughout the southern states of course i accept the cities and speak only of the estates where the house servants are neither better housed or accommodated than the field hands their intolerably dirty habits and offensive persons would indeed render it a severe trial to any family accustomed to habits of decent cleanliness and moreover considerations of safety and that cautious vigilance which is a hard necessity of the planter's existence in spite of the supposed attachment of his slaves would never permit the near proximity 
during the unprotected hours of the night, of those whose intimacy with the daily habits and knowledge of the nightly securities resorted to might prove terrible auxiliaries to any attack from without. The city guards, patrols, and night watches, together with their stringent rules about negroes being abroad after night, and their well-fortified lock-up houses for all detected without a pass, afford some security against these attached dependents. But on remote plantations, where the owner and his family and perhaps a white overseer are alone, surrounded by slaves and separated from all succor against them, they do not sleep under the white man's roof, and for politic reasons pass the night away from their master's abode. The house servants have no other or better allowance of food than the field laborers but have the advantage of eking it out by what is left from the master's table, if possible with even less comfort in one respect, inasmuch as no time whatever is set apart for their meals, which they snatch at any hour and in any way that they can, generally, however, standing or squatting on their hams round the kitchen fire, the kitchen being a mere outhouse or barn with a fire in it. On the estate where I lived, as I have mentioned, they had no sleeping rooms in the house but when their work was over they retired like the rest to their hovels the discomfort of which had to them all the additional disadvantage of comparison with their owner's mode of living in all establishments whatever of course some disparity exists between the accommodation of the drawing-rooms and best bedrooms and the servants kitchen and attics but on a plantation it is no longer a matter of degree the young women who performed the offices of waiting and housemaids, and the lads who attended upon the service of their master's table where I lived, had neither table to feed at nor chair to sit down upon themselves. The boys lay all night on the hearth by the kitchen fire, and the women upon the usual slave's bed, a frame of rough boards, strewed with a little moss off the trees, with the addition, perhaps, of a tattered and filthy blanket. As for the so-called privilege of marrying, Surely it is gross mockery to apply such a word to a bond which may be holy in God's sight, but which did not prevent the owner of a plantation, where my observations were made, from selling and buying men and their so-called wives and children into divided bondage, nor the white overseer from compelling the wife of one of the most excellent and exemplary of his master's slaves to live with him, nor the white wife of another overseer, in her husband's temporary absence from the estate, from barbarously flogging three married slaves within a month of their confinement, their condition being the result of the profligacy of the said overseer, and probably compelled by the very same lash by which it was punished. This is a very disgusting picture of married life on slave estates, but I have undertaken to reply to the statements of your informant, and I regret to be obliged to record the facts by which alone I can do so. Work continues your authority, began at six in the morning. At nine, an hour's rest was allowed for breakfast, and by two or three o'clock the day's work was done. Certainly this was a pattern plantation, and I can only lament that my experience lay amid such far less favorable circumstances. The negroes among whom I lived went to the fields at daybreak, carrying with them their allowance of food, which toward noon, and not till then, they ate, cooking it over a fire which they kindled as best they could where they were working. Their second meal in the day was at night after their labor was over, having worked at the very least six hours without rest or refreshment since their noonday meal, 
properly so called indeed for it was meal and nothing else or a preparation something thicker than porridge which they call hominy perhaps the candid observer whose report of the estate he visited appeared to you so consolatory would think that this diet contrasted favorably with that of potato and buttermilk fed irish laborers but a more just comparison surely would be with the mode of living of the laboring population of the united states the peasantry of ohio pennsylvania and massachusetts or indeed with the condition of those very potato and buttermilk fed irishmen when they have exchanged their native soil for the fields of the northern and northwestern states and when as one of them once was heard to say it was no use writing home that he got meat three times a day for nobody in ireland would believe it the next item in the list of commendation is the hospital which your informant also visited and of which he gives the following account it consisted of three separate wards all clean and well ventilated one was for lying in women who were invariably allowed a month's rest after their confinement permit me to place beside this picture that of a southern infirmary such as i saw it and taken on the spot in the first room that i entered i found only half of the windows of which there were six glazed these were almost as much obscured with dirt as the other windowless ones were darkened by the dingy shutters which the shivering inmates had closed in order to protect themselves from the cold in the enormous chimney glimmered the powerless embers of a few chips of wood round which as many of the sick women as had strength to approach were cowering some on wooden settles there was not such a thing as a chair with a back in the whole establishment most of them on the ground excluding those who were too ill to rise and these poor wretches lay prostrate on the earth without bedstead bed mattress or pillow with no covering but the clothes they had on and some filthy rags of blanket in which they endeavored to wrap themselves as they lay literally strewing the floor so that there was hardly room to pass between them here in their hour of sickness and suffering lay those whose health and strength had given way under unrequited labor some of them no later than the previous day had been urged with the lash to their accustomed tasks and their husbands fathers brothers and sons were even at that hour sweating over the earth whose increase was to procure for others all the luxuries which health can enjoy all the comforts which can alleviate sickness here lay women expecting every hour the terror and agonies of childbirth others who had just brought their doomed offspring into the world others who were groaning over the anguish and bitter disappointment of miscarriages here lay some burning with fever others chilled with cold and aching with rheumatism upon the hard cold ground the draughts and damp of the atmosphere increasing their sufferings and dirt noise stench and every aggravation of which sickness is capable combined in their condition there had been among them one or two cases of prolonged and terribly hard labor and the method adopted by the ignorant old negress who was the sole matron midwife nurse physician surgeon and servant of the infirmary to assist them in their extremity was to tie a cloth tight round the throats of the agonized women and by drawing it till she almost suffocated them she produced violent and spasmodic struggles which she assured me she thought materially assisted the progress of the labor 
This was one of the southern infirmaries with which I was acquainted. And I beg to conclude this chapter of contrast to your informant's consolatory views of slavery by assuring you once more very emphatically that they have been one and all drawn from estates where the slaves esteemed themselves well treated, were reputed generally to be so, and undoubtedly, as far as my observation went, were so, compared with those on several of the adjoining plantations. With regard to the statement respecting the sums of money earned by industrious Negroes, there is no doubt that it is perfectly correct. I knew of some slaves on a plantation in the extreme south who had received at various times large sums of money from a shopkeeper in the small town near their estate for the gray moss or lichen collected from the evergreen oaks of Carolina and Georgia, upon which it hangs in vast masses, and after some cleaning process becomes an excellent substitute for horsehair, for bed, chair, and sofa stuffing. On another estate some of the slaves were expert boat-makers, and had been allowed by their masters to retain the price, no inconsiderable one, for some that they had found time to manufacture after their day's labor was accomplished. These were undoubtedly privileges, but I confess it appears to me that the juster view of the matter would be this. If these men were industrious enough out of their scanty leisure to earn these sums of money, which a mere exercise of arbitrary will on the part of the master allowed them to keep, how much more of remuneration, of comfort, of improvement, physical and mental, might they not have achieved, had the due price of their daily hour merely been paid to them? It seems to me that this is the mode of putting the case to Englishmen, and all who have not agreed to consider uncertain favor an equivalent for common justice in the dealings of man with man. As the slaves are well known to toil for years sometimes to amass the means of rescuing themselves from bondage, the fact of their being able and sometimes allowed to earn considerable sums of money is notorious. But now that I have answered one by one the instances you have produced with others, I am sure as accurate and I believe as common, of an entirely opposite description, permit me to ask you what this sort of testimony amounts to. I allow you full credit for yours allow me full credit for mine, and the result is very simply a nullification of the one by the other statement, and a proof that there is as much good as evil in the details of slavery. But now be pleased to throw into the scale this consideration, that the principle of the whole is unmitigated abominable evil, as by your own acknowledgment you hold it to be, and add, moreover, that the principle being invariably bad beyond the power of the best man acting under it to alter its execrable injustice, the goodness of the detail is a matter absolutely dependent upon the will of each individual slaveholder, so that though the best cannot make the system in the smallest particular better, the bad can make every practical detail of it as atrocious as the principle itself and then tell me upon what ground you palliate a monstrous iniquity which is the rule because of the accidental exceptions which go to prove it moreover if as you have asserted good preponderates over evil in the practice though not in the theory of slavery or it would not maintain its existence why do you uphold to us with so much complacency the hope that it is surely if not rapidly approaching its abolishment why is the preponderating good, 
which has as you say proved sufficient to uphold the institution hitherto to become in spite of the spread of civilization and national progress and the gradual improvement of the slaves themselves inadequate to its perpetuation henceforward or why if good really has prevailed in it do you rejoice that it is speedily to pass away you say the emancipation of the slaves is inevitable and that through progressive culture the negro of the southern states daily approaches more nearly to the recovery of the rights of which he has been robbed but whence do you draw this happy augury except from the hope which all christian souls must cherish that god will not permit much longer so great a wickedness to darken the face of the earth surely the increased stringency of the southern slave laws the more than ever vigilant precautions against all attempts to enlighten or educate the negroes the severer restrictions on manumission the thrusting forth out of certain states of all free persons of color the atrocious fugitive slave bill one of the latest achievements of congress and the piratical attempts upon cuba avowedly on the part of all southerners abetting or justifying it because it will add slave territory and six hundred thousand slaves to their possessions surely these do not seem indications of the better state of things you anticipate except indeed as the straining of the chain beyond all endurable tightness significantly suggests the probability of its giving way i do not believe the planters have any disposition to put an end to slavery nor is it perhaps much to be wondered at that they have not to do so is in the opinion of the majority of them to run the risk of losing their property perhaps their lives for a benefit which they profess to think doubtful to the slaves themselves how far they are right in anticipating ruin from the manumission of their slaves i think questionable but that they do so is certain and self-impoverishment for the sake of abstract principle is not a thing to be reasonably expected from any large mass of men but besides the natural fact that the slaveholders wish to retain their property emancipation is in their view of it not only a risk of enormous pecuniary loss and of their entire social status but involves elements of personal danger and above all disgust to inveterate prejudices which they will assuredly never encounter the question is not alone one of foregoing great wealth or the mere means of subsistence in either case almost equally hard it is not alone the unbinding the hands of those who have many a bloody debt of hatred and revenge to settle it is not alone the consenting suddenly to see by their side upon a footing of free social equality creatures towards whom their predominant feeling is one of mingled terror and abhorrence and who during the whole of their national existence have been as the earth trampled beneath their feet yet ever threatening to gape and swallow them alive it is not at all this alone which makes it unlikely that the southern planter should desire to free his slaves freedom in america is not merely a personal right it involves a political privilege freemen there are legislators the rulers of the land are the majority of the people and in many parts of the southern states the black free citizens would become if not at once yet in process of time inevitably voters landholders delegates to state legislatures members of assembly who knows senators judges aspirants to the presidency of the united states you must be an american or have lived long among them 
to conceive the shout of derisive execration with which such an idea would be hailed from one end of the land to the other that the emancipation of the negroes need not necessarily put them in possession of the franchise is of course obvious but as a general consequence the one would follow from the other and at present certainly the slaveholders are no more ready to grant the political privilege than their natural right of freedom under these circumstances though the utmost commiseration is naturally excited by the slaves i agree with you that some forbearance is due to the masters it is difficult to conceive a more awful position than theirs fettered by laws which impede every movement towards right and justice and utterly without the desire to repeal them dogged by the apprehension of nameless retributions bound beneath a burthen of responsibility for which whether they acknowledge it or not they are held accountable by god and men goaded by the keen consciousness of the growing reprobation of all civilized christian communities their existence presents the miserable moral counterpart of the physical condition of their slaves and it is one compared with which that of the wretchedest slave is in my judgment worthy of envy end of section twenty seven recording by james k white chula vista